Imagine with me that you won the lottery, all right? Let's be conservative. Not 200 million. Let's go 20 million. You won the $20 million lottery, which means for the next 30 years, you are going to receive a payout after taxes of $400,000 a year. Yeah. What would you do with that money? You're running through all that. I'd have a beach house. I'd have a mountain house. I'd have new clothes, uh, maybe a new car. Somewhere in there, you'll help someone, right? You may not know exactly what you want to get, but one thing you know for sure, you're like, with that amount of money, I know for sure that I will be satisfied and I will be secure. And we're going to look today that our satisfaction in life, our meaning in life goes much deeper than a dollar bill. And we've been in this series called The Chase where we've been in Ecclesiastes, book in the Old Testament, means book of the teacher, believed the author to be Solomon. And so he's been teaching us over the past few weeks. He lived about a thousand years before Christ and if there was ever anyone that could have that experience of feeling what it's like to hit the lottery, not by throwing away dollar bills, but by having all of this stuff, it would have been him. God blessed him with so much wealth. He knew what it was like. And it was more than just wealth. He had things going on relationally. He was honored. He had lots of influence. And today, he's going to teach us that chasing after wealth is meaningless. And I think it's a lesson that all of us can relate to in some way or another. When all of us may have maybe moved because we wanted a higher-paying job. Maybe we had incurred debt because we couldn't wait, right? And we have questions like, well, does, it, does God think money's wrong? Is it having excess of money wrong? We're going to look at some of those questions today as we continue in this series. And as we do that, I want to get Bibles in your hands. So if you don't have one, the ushers are going to be coming down. If you forgot one, just take it, drop it off on your way back. But if you don't have one, we'd love for you to go home with the Bible. So just signal to them that they will give you a Bible. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 this morning. Let's start in verse 17, and I'll start reading. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. Solomon, was he himself acquired wealth. He was around people who acquired wealth. And in the end, he realized that all of that stuff ends up going to we don't get to keep it. It goes to somebody else. It's, it's not something we hold on to. And he got to this point, and there's something about acquiring something. It feels good, doesn't it? 
it, it almost gives us a sense of ownership. Think of, think of a birthday party of young kids, right? And that uh, the kid whose birthday it is, they get a present. And watch some other kid try to go grab that present, right? No, it's mine. There's this sense of ownership that we get. There's this power that we get. And we can think things are under control, that we feel secure as we get these things. But it feels so good to get something new. I love a new car. I love a new used car. I think it has a good smell. I love, I love a certain kind of pen. It's called a pilot retractable pen. Fine titanium shaft, retractable. Love open it, getting that package and opening it up. Just getting something new feels good. It is ours. And Solomon gets here and he says, listen, eventually it's going to go to someone else. You're not going to be able to hold on to it forever. And not just your stuff, but maybe it's your dreams and your visions too of where you wanted to go with things. I recently looked at pictures of the house that I grew up in. My parents moved here uh, last year. And so I saw pictures online of the current owner and what they're doing with the house. And I see my dad's and mom's dreams and their visions of where it was going to go. And it's going in a completely different direction. Some of it, I don't know where it's going. But it reminded me of it's going to go to somebody else. And that may happen to you. Maybe you have a business. You may give to somebody in the family. You may sell it and your dreams and your visions for it, it may go there, it may not. You may be part of a team, you may be a coach of a team that has such a great work ethic and philosophy. And then all of a sudden, two years down the road, it's changed to something completely different. Think of our families, you instill in your children, you want them to go and grow up in certain ways, and you spend years pouring into them. But you're not guaranteed that they're going to go out and live the way that you showed them they should live. It can happen in the church. Here, God's building LifePoint Church, but maybe someday somebody else is going to lead it. Our West Campus just went through this very thing, a reminder to them, and I think they handled it so graciously and, and God-honoring. Somebody else is running their church now. All of this can happen, not just with our stuff, but with our hopes and our dreams as well. And this puts Solomon in great despair, we read. He didn't like that, wait a minute, somebody else is going to get to take what I worked so hard for? They may not even appreciate it. They may not have the wisdom that I had. They may act with it foolishly. And this, our stuff, can start to control us. But we better realize one important fact. That everything we work so hard to accumulate is just temporary. All of this stuff is just temporary. We know that, right? Intellectually, we know that we don't get to keep it. But we live as if we're going to be around forever and this is ours and it's never going to be anybody else's. Think of a legal will. You write down... This goes to Sally, this goes to Tony, but you don't write down, and this goes to me. We don't get to keep it. We don't. And there will be a day 
when we, we go and our stuff stays. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 5.15, Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He's taking nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. There'll be a day, again, where we will move on and our stuff will stay. You read stories, people try to take it with them. They get buried with their car and all these things. But we can't take it with us. And there'll be a time where we're forgotten. We can remember our grandmother, our great-grandmother, our great-great-grandmother. But do you remember well beyond that? Now you're probably going, great, I hope he doesn't end the sermon right there. Wow. No. So what's our option? We can't take it with us. It goes to somebody else. So what do we do? Oh, another option is live it up. Right? Let's get it and let's enjoy it. But there's a problem with that as well. That the chase for wealth never ends. Just as soon as you think you got enough, you have enough, a new car drives by. Somebody with a new piece of clothing drives by. As somebody with an iPhone 5 <laughs> drives by, right? Or walks by. The chase never ends. Solomon put it this way. Chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has, has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? Solomon had more money than he could use, but yet he kept acquiring he had a commercial empire. He had buildings. He had gardens. He had $900 million in today's wealth. He had work, tens of thousands of workers. He put taxation on people, heavy taxation, and he was bringing in the money. But this richest man was never satisfied. His son, Rehoboam, took it over. And he sought counsel, and one set of wise counsels said, you need to take it in this direction, lessen the burden on the people. But he listened to the other side that said, continue to do what was being done. The chase after wealth never ends. I remember when I got my first job uh, in high school or between high school and college, got around two to $300 per week, and I thought, I am never going to spend all of this money. There is no way I'm going to spend $300. And then I got out of school, I got that acceptance letter. I remember where I was walking up my college house driveway, and I saw the figure there, and I calculated it into weekly pay. I'm like, I could retire on this salary right here. They can hold it all the way until I retire at 65 or so. That I will never spend. That is more than enough. But somehow, it wasn't more than enough. There was always something else. How much is enough? That question has been asked to so many people at so many different income levels. And the answer varies as far as amount of money. But the answer is the same, surprisingly, about the percentage. It always seems to be about double. If you make 20, you, want, you say, if I made 40,000 a year, whew, I would never have a problem. 50, it would be 100,000. 100,000 would be 200,000. 
the goal always is like double away. And you get there, and it keeps moving on you. How much is enough? Not to be rich, but just enough. John D. Rockefeller famously answered that question. When How much is enough? Just a little bit more was his answer. The chase is endless. It's like, have you ever been in a parking lot? This happens to me. I get my groceries, holding on to them. I get the receipt, and I'm pinching it with my chin, and I get the groceries, and it somehow falls on the ground. And that day, there's always a wind, right? And then you put your foot on it, and it flies away, and it keeps going. That's what wealth chasing after it is like. You never are able to catch up with it. And given that, I want to give you some revolutionary financial advice. It's not going to show up on the screen because I just thought about it back there. <laughs> All right? Here it is. Spend less than you earn. Duh. Spend less than you earn. If you don't, your money will lead you around. You need to master your money. Your money should not become master over you. And it has this way of mastering us when we're going after it. It also has this way of controlling us once we get it as well. That the stuff that we work so hard to get, that can actually control us. And perhaps you've felt that. Listen to what Solomon says in chapter 2. Verse 22, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Our stuff can control us. Trouble sleeping <laughs> means that something is off track. And when our pursuits are keeping us up at night, it means that we're pursuing the wrong thing. But I understand what it's like because it, it's very seductive. You say, I don't need this, but if I stretch just a little bit, right, I can make it work. And in the end, it will be the best thing that we've ever done. It is true that riches give you the freedom to do many things. That part's true, that riches give you the freedom to do many things. But what is equally true is that the chains of worry are right behind and they ruin any true joy that you may get. So yes, we get to do a lot, but right behind is worry. And we can shrug this off and say, oh, come on. But we've got to spend time here because we spend so much part of our day and our week and our month earning a living and buying and providing. And Solomon gets on the other side. He gets to where we are and even past. And he's saying, I've been where you are. And I'm trying to tell you that even after you get everything, you know where you're going to end up? Right back at the beginning. Because the chase never ends. And I hear that and I say, so what am I to do then? Am I to give up 
earning a living? Am I to give up wanting to get a raise and get ahead and do all of these things? At the end, in Ecclesiastes 12, Solomon says, he says, above all things, here's what it's about. It's about fearing God and obeying his commands. And I hear that and I say, I got that, but how does that play out in my day-to-day living with my wealth, with what I've been blessed with? What does that look like? I'm trying to understand that. You see, Jesus is the culmination of God's teaching, right? And he had a lot to say about wealth and riches and our activities with these things. He had so much to say, it was what he talked about it the most out of all the other issues. So we'd be wise to look at what he has to say about this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we could just grasp what Jesus is saying here in these statements, it would help us avoid the meaninglessness that Solomon felt. That if we could just get this, if we could understand that my heart ends up moving toward whatever I chase, your heart, my heart, whatever we're chasing after, it moves toward that. We happen to be talking about money and riches and wealth, but the same applies for anything else that we chase. But with, with wealth, I understand it. My dad and my brother call it, I'm on the hunt. If I'm, you know, I get some Christmas money or something and I know what I want to get, I go on the hunt. And you're all consumed with the hunt. It's the all you can think about. That's what we're getting here, where the heart moves toward whatever we're chasing. And Jesus says, you got two options. You can store up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. And Solomon figured that out. He said, all of it's going to go to somebody else anyway. You can't take it. Or you can store up treasure in heaven. Solomon figured that part out saying, it's his anyway. I might as well give it to him. The sooner that we realize that, the better off we will be. That he's really the owner of all that we have. And God would want us to chase after things that last. And this kind of turns what may appear to be a financial decision into a spiritual decision. What do you mean? Well, instead of saying, hmm, I wonder if I have enough to do what I want to do. I wonder if the budget would allow for it. Instead, the question becomes, God, what would you have me do with these resources? Your resources. Do you want me to use them in this way? And I know what you're thinking. Rob, you need money to live. Don't make me feel bad for, for having money and having to spend it. Money is not bad. Correct. Jesus is not saying money is bad. The Bible never says money is bad. It doesn't say the root of all evil is money. We need money 
to pay the bills. We need money to put a roof over our head. We need money for food and clothes, to give gifts to others, to help different ministries. Money can be used for good in God's kingdom. Absolutely. But what the scriptures are clear about is that the love, the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the stuff that makes us chase after things other than God. It makes man do some really stupid stuff, illegal stuff, risky stuff, put families in jeopardy because of the love of money. But most importantly, God wants to say, what it does to you is it draws you away from me. And I'm the one that's going to give you the security and the significance and the meaning in life. But you're chasing in the wrong direction. And the love of money causes us to go the wrong way. And if you read verse 24 of Matthew 6, Jesus says, You cannot love both God and money. Notice he doesn't say, it's very difficult now to love God and money. He says it is impossible to love God and money. So how do we stop the chase? How do we avoid all of these pitfalls? What can we do? You're like, I got it. I get everything you're saying, but what turns this ship around? Generosity. Giving it away. How? It gives us a different perspective on money. Instead of money pulling us in one direction, we start to tell it where to go. And it makes our spirit, the decisions with dollar bills something that is spiritual and can make a significance in the world. Every financial decision could be a spiritual decision for you. In verse 22 of Matthew 6, we read, and this verse seems like it's not connected to what we just read, but it is. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, in Jewish literature, the eye is like the heart. It's here a lamp, a window into the whole inner being of a person. That if my eye is good, all of me is good. And some scholars say that the original meaning is the word sometimes used healthy, but some scholars say generous. And for bad, it means evil, maybe envious. There's a couple places where it's used envious. So if you read it like that, generous eyes lead to full light. Envious eyes lead to darkness. You see, generosity breaks that grip that chasing money and wealth can have on us. And you might be sitting in your seat right now saying, great, all of this discussion simply to say, be generous, fill the popcorn buckets, the offering buckets when they come by, right? That may be what some of you are thinking. Well, the offering already happened, happened on purpose because Jesus is getting at something much deeper. We don't, cares. Well, you're like, yeah, if nothing's in the bucket, you'll care. We're much more concerned with what Jesus is concerned about. And it's not the external, what's going in there. It's the inside. 
It's that lamp into the soul, the inner being. Where is your heart? What's going on on the inside? That's what matters most to us. You see, meaning in life is connected to generosity. Many of the world's wealthy, some of the world's wealthy, have figured this out, that they acquired and earned all of this, and they're giving it away, and they feel some purpose and some meaning. Now, don't walk away from here going, wow, they just preached a message saying, all you have to do is give away, and like you earned your salvation, and meaning in life will come. That's, do not walk out because thinking that, because I will say what we said last week when we were talking about achievement. That achievement that begins and ends with you is meaningless. And the same with your generosity. If your generosity begins and ends with you, meaningless to God. He, he doesn't need your money. He doesn't want your money in that case. Your accolades will come from people patting you on the back for being so generous. But if you look, think of the most generous people you know. Are they unhappy? Think of the most greedy people you know. Are they full of joy? There's a reason. If you're chasing after wealth, start giving some of it away. Maybe you can make a visit to your local elementary, middle, high school, and make a donation to the PTA. Because there are kids that come hungry to school in the morning because they don't have food. And your donation can help feed them by just giving a little bit away. Maybe your neighbor's going through something and you know they've been out of a job and the family's struggling. Put $100 in an envelope anonymously, put it in their mailbox. And they need it at one of the most desperate times. Maybe you can make a field trip, a mission trip possible for somebody. It's not about the bucket. It's about what's going on in your heart because life is about giving, not getting. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian and you call him Savior, he's the most generous God ever. He gave all of himself for you. And if you want to chase away darkness and you want to have more light in your life, draw toward God. The Bible says God is light. Draw toward him, and as you do that, he's going to propel you out to generously give where he calls you to give. You see, real meaning, real financial freedom, real security comes in life when we draw close to him and we approach giving resources not with a closed hand, but with an open hand that says, God, this is all yours anyway. And I think I'm, I'm called to use it in this way. Is this the way you want me to do it? And you give. It's very hard to chase something that you've given away. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that you know the chase, the chase is that we can go down in life and you know what is, what is healthy and right and what is good for us. I just thank you for the series and the wisdom of Solomon. 
that calls us to see the ways that are wrong and to run toward you and to take a new approach. And uh, Lord, with our wealth, may it start with you, and out of that, you lead us to where you would like us to give what you've given us. And uh, we just thank you for that. We know that in that, true freedom will come. We love you, and it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.